It's been a while. Hey guys, this is Kyler Clark, aka Serial Kyler. This is episode five of Audio Confessions of a Serial Kyler. That's me. Um, this is a stream of consciousness audio blog and or podcast, which is hopefully filled with road stories, thoughts, emotions, and an intimate eye on what it means to be me. Who am I? I pretend to be a photographer. I'm also Alice Cooper's personal assistant. And my life can be pretty weird. Um, some people think it's interesting. So, here we are. Here's a little bass from me. Here we go. I'm eating a little popcorn right now. <clears throat> so, it really has been a while. Um, it's been like over a month. Um, and pardon my chewing. I'm, I'm eating this popcorn. You can't stop me. Oh, it's so good. Mm. So, we're here in Ulu, Finland. Um, and I have this beautiful room overlooking this kind of pretty scene, kind of a small town scenario. And... Um, uh, please don't fall popcorn. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, um, there's a movie theater right next door, which is, man, I got to tell you, it's Alice's favorite thing in the whole world to go to movies. Um, and that means it's like a daytime movie for him. He's stoked today. Um, so I went over there to get him something to drink. There's also a convenience store in the movie theater. It's just it couldn't get any more convenient than that, really. Um, so I went over there and grabbed some stuff, and I also got a popcorn for myself because one of my guilty pleasures is popcorn. Actually, I like it when Alice goes to a movie because he always brings me the extra popcorn. I always get the bag of popcorn afterwards, which is, it's just a perk, you know? It's just a perk. It's part of my salary. Um, all right, so we're playing at the Q Stock Festival here in Ulu, Finland, and uh, we flew in last night. Holy moly. Okay, guys, um, you, you know, I, I'm sure some of you guys are following along on uh, Instagram. And if you were following along, you would have seen my video of the turbulence. So we flew in, and it was, I've never seen anything like it. We were just cruising, doing our thing. We hit a little bit of bumps, get some stuff happening. And then all of a sudden, we go from side to side, and then it... The bottom drops out of this plane. We everybody levitated, and all of the drinks levitated. This only happened. This happened once in Russia. I was actually not there for this, but um, the plane, the bottom dropped out of the plane. People hit the ceiling. Food hit the ceiling. Drinks. Similar. Not. I don't think it was quite as bad. Um, but I happened to have my camera on because it was starting. We started to have some turbulence, and and they were saying that it might be pretty bad. So I got out my phone and I started recording it just for fun, and. You know, it was fun for a second, and then it got a little scary. Um, my drink all ended up on the ceiling and all over me. Um, <clears throat> it's a pretty funny video to watch if you, if you want to be scared um, and have some high anxiety for the rest of the night. Um, go watch it. It's on my Instagram. So, yeah. Turbulence like you wouldn't believe. Uh, anyway, so we played pretty late tonight, um, and... Uh, 
I'm kind of in the middle of my downtime, sitting around. Uh, you know, I, I figured I'd do this. I, I actually have started this episode three times, and I haven't finished it. Um, I, I, I kept struggling for, like, a flow and a subject matter, and I kept ditching it. And uh, so here we go. Um, as you may or may not be aware, um, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about suicide. It's a big thing that's happening in, in the rock and roll world uh, lately. You know, we've lost uh, Chris Cornell. That was terrible. And then Chester Bennington. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really know these guys. And, um, but anyway, before we get into that dark stuff, um, let's get started with my, uh, my desk. Um, this is going to be, I, I, I would like to call this a regular thing, you know, maybe from now on. So, um, what's we, which we call it like, uh, what's on my desk? I don't know. Anyway, uh, my desk is always a mess. Um, and, uh, when I'm, when I was recording this episode, um, the last time, which I believe was when we were in Barcelona, Spain, <clears throat> my desk was messy that day, seriously messy. I had a medieval, uh, battle axe that I was charged with finding at 8am on a Saturday afternoon. Um, Alice was doing a photo shoot for somebody and somebody said, you know, this, do you know what this photo needs? We need an axe. And I'm like, yeah, sure. We're in the middle of town. And I'll just drop by the axe store and go grab one. Yeah, no big deal. So I went out to try to find an axe. Quote, I'm going to go out and find an axe. Yeah, right. Um, I, I went out knowing full well that I was going to come up short and I was just going to end up getting coffee and coming right back without an axe. So I took a shortcut over to the coffee shop through this little alley, rounded this corner, and there in the middle, by the way, I don't know if you can hear that, but you can hear my stomach rumbling. <sighs> I'm hungry. That's why I'm eating popcorn. Anyway, so I round the corner, and uh, there in the middle of this shopping street was a window full of axes of every imaginable kind and size. So I bought a big one. Um, swung by the coffee shop and was back in 10 minutes with an axe, much to everyone's surprise. You know, walking into the lobby with a giant axe is pretty funny. Um, you know, but just an axe. What? <clears throat> so my desk uh, this time isn't quite as interesting, you know, um, but there are a few things that are worth mentioning, you know. Um, as you saw, maybe uh, maybe you saw my little promo video. Um, I have some cards. My friend Amber, Amber Williams, gave me this cool, um, it's like a, was it a question mark box, a mystery box, or magic box, I think is what it's called. Uh, now I can't remember the context of it, but inside were a bunch of cards, decks of cards, and we've been playing poker on the, on the tour bus quite a bit, and I also um, collect cards. I collect decks of playing cards, kind of a random thing, and I just, I don't do it on purpose, I just happen to I, it happens. I started collecting them at casinos. They would give us extra cards with holes punched in them. And then I ended up getting one from The Amazing Randy for his movie, which if you haven't seen An Honest Liar, it's a great movie um, about The Amazing Randy. So he had a deck of cards that he gave me. You know, I just kind of, you know, I just collected them. And uh, so I have a deck of cards here uh, to practice shuffling and to practice, you know, looking at different... Um, Trying to come up with different hands 
um, because I'm terrible. I'm currently down, I think, $4, but last tour, I was down about $50, and uh, I won the last hand, which was a big one, and I got my, I got all my money back plus, so that was nice. Currently, Amber's down about 50 bucks. so yeah, maybe she should be practicing with this. <clears throat> um, I, I was up like 20 bucks, and I made a really dumb, dumb move. Dumb, dumb move. I forgot. We, we play all these different hands, and, and I forgot that we have a, a one-eyed jack. Um, don't know if you guys remember, but Cheryl had a patch on her eye for a while. Um, so we called it Blind Cheryl. That's the rule, and that means that if you have a, a one-eyed jack, it's wild. Um, and I had a hand. We are playing, like, three-card poker. And I had a hand. I had, like, I don't know. I had a straight with a one-eyed jack as a wild card. But I forgot that we weren't playing one-eyed jacks, so I put down three cards, and it was like a forty-dollar hand or thirty-dollar hand or something like that, big one. And I put this down, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's pretty good. I'm going in. I'm going to go in." And I got my ass handed to me, but it took me down to only about negative four dollars instead of being negative forty. <laughs> um, so I got lucky there, but yeah, stupid move. And I think Alice was just saying, I think on his radio show, um, he was complaining that I was up. And he goes, you know what? Kyler's going to make a rookie mistake. And you know what I did? Made a rookie mistake. I blew it. I blew it. Chuck's mad at me. Terrible. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so um, what else is on my desk? I have my playing cards from this uh, really cool um, mystery box. I guess the company is called uh, it's the Bad Robot. It's some, I don't know. It's, uh, whatever. Look it up. Mystery box, question mark. Deco cards. I don't know. You can Google it. Also on my desk is Alice's new album, the uh, Paranormal album, which came out on the 28th. Um, we had a release party over at the Hard Rock after our show in Stockholm, and which was great. Um, we, we did a, I did a Facebook live stream of that, and you know, if you were having a hard time hearing what was being said, I apologize. Not my fault. The PA was just having a, we were having a hard time with the PA. Um, but they did a Q&A over there, and uh, Alice did not reveal anything that he hasn't said in any interviews. So there's really no new information there. Um, but it was cool to be, uh, to be there for that. Um, the album cover, the photo on the album cover, was done by um, Rob Fenn, my buddy Rob Fenn. He's a photographer that works with um, Rob Zombie, and he's got a, his own production company and all that stuff. Released by Ear Music. It's a label. Um, they did some really cool stuff with some of the photos. And uh, it looks really good. The album sounds great. Um, they've been working on it for about a year. And, you know, produced by Bob Ezrin. I have a uh, vinyl copy and a CD copy, which is a double CD. I don't have the box copy. Maybe I'll get one. I don't know. Um, anyway, so that's on my desk. I, <laughs> I have a, a patch. It says, hello, my name is Rio Montoya. I believe that's right. Montoya? Yeah. In, Inigo. Inigo. Ah, that's right. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And it looks like a um, looks like a name tag. It just says, hello, my name is. Pretty funny. Somebody gave that to me. Can't remember who. Um, but I apologize if you gave that to me. Um, I now forgot. That was my flashlight you just heard. I have my um, journal which is uh, something I, I've really kind of been trying to use a lot more to remember um, moments that happen in, 
on the tour and uh, things that I want to talk about. Um, I have a map of the current town that we're in, which is Ulu, Finland. Um, that's here. I also have my stage pass. Um, I actually lost one recently. So if you found that, you can't use it. But um, I also have a little portable photo light. I have my uh, these Bose in-ear um, noise-canceling headphones, which are amazing on an airplane. Um, what else today? I threw, oh yeah, Alice's gloves. I have a Willie Nelson pen. Um, you know who you are who gave that to me. Thank you. That's really cool. Um, uh, what else do I have? Hmm. I'm sure I'll, I have other stuff somewhere. Oh, my uh, hard drives. I have many, 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 many hard drives. Um, I have uh, used these um, lacy, they're orange hard drives. So they look like little rafts. And they are very protective little hard drives. Keep my photos safe. I have three of those on the road. And then I have a ton of you know, SD cards and chargers and little extra battery packs, a little mini tripod. My desk is literally just cluttered. Oh, and there's popcorn and really stale cheese puffs. Sometimes when we check in hotels, they give us gifts. And in this hotel, they gave me a strawberry, um, a beaded necklace, stale um, cheese puff type things, and I... I I guess like ribbon, you know, it's like a um, kind of a iridescent silvery type ribbon scenario on on a plate. Um, the only thing I've tried to eat is the um, the cheese puffs, which are stale. So I would imagine that the the, the plastic beads would also be stale. Uh, so I'm not going to eat them. And then there's also a cup of coffee here, which is very very important. I um, I drink a lot of coffee. So, uh, oh, you know, what's funny. Um, when we flew out from, uh, from home, um, Karen from Hazmat is a com- her company. She does all of Alice's wardrobe and stuff. And uh, they were talking about doing a particular song that involves the color red um, and <sighs> lace. Um, so, and I'm not going to tell you anything else. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but we're working on it. But uh, so in order to work on it, we Cheryl's going to do this dance. So we have this um, really pretty uh, wedding dress that we bought, and Karen ruined it for us, sprayed it with blood, made it look terrible. Um, actually, it looks really cool. So I brought that and put it in my suitcase, but it was still wrapped in plastic and uh, had, like, bloody drops and stuff, everything in, in, in the bag. So it's like I stuffed it into my suitcase and I got a notice in my, when I, whenever I arrived that the TSA had like gone in my suitcase to look to check, you know, check things out or a, I guess customs or somebody. And um, they had, <laughs> they had pulled the dress out and checked it out because it was out of the bag and they stuffed it back in there. I think they were curious of what it might have been. Um, no explanation, just a bloody wedding dress. What? What? What of it? Uh, all right. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll get to some listener questions. I'm going to do two listener questions first, and then I'll, we'll talk about uh, the suicide stuff um, before we get uh, really, really dark. Um, so uh, this is actually a, a random question I get asked a lot, um, and I answered this the other day at um, at our gig at Sticky Fingers. The uh, band did a gig at Sticky Fingers, and Alice came up and did a, um, did a uh, like a, you know, 
he came up and did a surprise performance. Um, so, where was that? Gothenburg? I don't remember. Uh, but you can Google it. We were there. It happened. Um, so, what's the best advice I've ever been given? Um, there's two, two moments in my life where I got good advice. Generic advice. Um, there was a bass player, and I have no idea who he is. It might have been Rudy Sarzo or something. I don't remember. But he came into this cat club, which is a club that I worked at in L.A. And I used to work the door there, and we'd have, like, all these after parties. And everybody would come in, and I ended up meeting the Alice band out of that and Calico. And Alice came in there a few times. Um, and I started my guitar tech business out of there. Uh, so anyway, so this guy was there. And he's hanging out at the bar and drunk, I guess. And so I'm there, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a bass player. So I, I was trying to get into playing more than I was trying to get into being a um, guitar tech. The guitar tech thing was just a way to make money. Um, but uh, so I asked him, and I'm like, hey, man, um, how do you, how do I get into this? What do I got to do to like, how are you getting all these, how do you get all the gigs? And what's some advice you can give me on to make myself more attractive as a, as a player? And he was like, dude, don't even worry about like how you're playing. I mean, if you know how to play bass, you know how to play bass. Most of what everybody's looking for is pretty simple. Um, you just got to be the guy that they want to have hanging around. And I was like, whoa, man. That's pretty profound. Um, just be the guy. Actually, that, I think that's all he said. Just be the guy. <laughs> be the guy. Okay. Sage advice. Um, whoever you are who gave that to me. Thank you. Um, I remembered that, and uh, I tried to be the guy that everybody just wanted in their band. And I did okay for a little bit. Um, anyway, so uh, next piece of advice was very similar. I got the same kind of advice from Bob Gruen, the photographer that, in, in New York. Um, and I met him at a show. He came back, and he's shot Alice a thousand times. And um, was one of my favorite photographers. And, you know, I'm a goober. Like I'm like, oh, man, it's Bob Gruen. Jeez. You know. How do I, you know, how do I get into it? And I'm trying, you know, and I was building my portfolio and I started doing the stuff with, with Alice and I started doing his social media stuff. So he had seen some of the stuff that I was doing. Um, and I was just like, you know, how did you get to where you are as a photographer and having this name that is this amazing, like, you know, you have this massive amount of respect and, um, you know, your, you know, your prints are you sell, they sell really well through these classic images. And, um, and he said, just, you just have to be the guy who doesn't get thrown out. Really. Um, he was like, I, I have, I had a camera and I was around, but mostly I was around when I happened to have a camera and everybody was comfortable with me and I had a camera. So there was a trust there. And also, most of these people were not super famous when he was shooting this stuff. Um, but there was a there was an element of trust there and, and um, comfort. And so he wasn't getting thrown out of the room, and he had a camera. So that was a big deal in what created an environment where he could capture these really cool, candid moments that are not posed, which I think is, that's my type of photography that I really resonate with. That's the kind of photography that I like to see. And that's what I like to capture. Moments that nobody else is really going to capture. You know, anybody can shoot the front row. 
anybody can shoot from there and capture really great images, but there's, you know, you can't, not everybody gets to be in a, in a private moment. Um, there's a couple of, I, I shot, um, Slash one time, um, obviously not, I've never shot him like officially, but we were backstage at some charity event and, uh, he and Billy Gibbons were sitting across from me chatting and Slash just got his guitars and I, and I'm sitting there in my thing and I have, I'm with Alice and everybody knows that I'm a photographer. And so there's this trust that carries over. Alice trusts me. And so kind of everybody else sort of does. And so I'm sitting there and I have my camera and I'm just noodling around and I, I try not to be, um, you also have to, um, know when not to, when not to shoot, you know, that's a big part of it too. But, um, so I have my camera and he's playing guitar. So I take a couple of pictures of him playing guitar on the couch and just this candid kind of classy way. And then Billy Gibbons comes up and he sits down and he starts talking and he's got slashes with his guitar Billy's there, and it was this really cool moment. I'm like, man, I have, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna shoot this. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. It was such a cool moment. Um, but I mean, I did it quietly, and I did it without, you know, raise, raising a fuss or having anybody pose or anything like that. And these are these really cool images um, that I cherish. They're some of my favorite pictures that I've taken, and they're not even really all that great. Um, it was pretty early on with me trying to figure out how to use my camera all that well. Um, so they're not, um, technically they're not my best, but they are some of the best content wise. Um, so speaking of, um, I'm going to give you a little advice on, uh, for the budding photographers out there, I will give you a little bit of advice on how to get some good shots, um, during a show. Um, that's a big question. Everybody's, people want to know how, they can get their camera to perform well in a, in a low light situation and uh, not get motion blur, which is a um, really common problem when you're shooting a live show. Um, so you have to get things in balance for a low light situation with a high amount of movement. Um, you have to think about three things. You have ISO, which is your shutter sensitivity. You have your aperture and f-stops, um, which controls the size of the opening of your shutter and your depth of field. Uh, and the next thing you have to think about is shutter speed. So uh, ISO, the sensitivity of your sensor, um, the higher the number here, the more sensitive your light sensor will be. Um, seems logical to bring it up really high, right? No, um, go too high and you're going to have really terribly grainy images. Um, it can be handy sometimes if you're in a situation where you are shooting a really dark room um, and you have to take a picture, but you can't use the light. But be warned, you won't be able to use them for any printing. Um, handy if you're maybe spying on somebody. I don't know. Um, sweet spots for me for live shows is between 1250 and 1600, maybe up to 2000. But that's it. Um, next thing is your aperture or your f-stop. The aperture controls the size of the shutter opening. Um, it also affects your depth of field. So the smaller the number, the larger the size of the opening and the shallower your depth of field is. Because you have a larger opening, you are accepting a lot more light. And you can control this amount of light, how, how much how bright your image is with your shutter speed, which I will talk about in a second. So let's say you take a picture with a large um, opening. Okay, it's a small number for your f-stop, larger opening. 
Um, take a picture of a table, one end of the table, if you focus on that edge, that edge is going to be in crisp focus. And the, everything else behind it and in front of it will be out of focus. Um, I like this situation for live photography because uh, I like my, first of all, I like my subject to be in crisp focus. You'll notice a lot of my stuff, if I'm shooting somebody who's on stage, they're in crisp focus and the crowd is out of focus. Okay. Um, and even other band members who are in a different position are slightly out of focus. Um, I do this because mainly for speed. You know, if I have a, if I, if I go the opposite way, let's say I go, let's say I'm taking a picture of the table again. Okay, if I go the other way and I bring my aperture to a high number, um, my shutter opening gets smaller and I let in less light. And in order to compensate for that, um, I have to bring my ISO up or I have to bring my shutter speed up. I'll get grainy images if I bring my ISO up. And I'll have motion blur if I bring my shutter speed up. So the best way to do this is to bring my f-stop or my aperture to a small number and bring my shutter speed, adjust my shutter speed accordingly um, and keep a snappy shutter speed so that it doesn't let in too much light. Um, and, you know, if, if you have a higher number, let's go back to the, uh, the aperture and, and, and focus depth of field here for a second. So if, if you have a higher f-stop number, um, you will have a, an image that ends up being more generally in focus. It's called a deep focus. It's handy for like um, landscapes and that sort of thing. Um, so uh, again, back to shutter speed. Um, if I have my aperture set correctly and my ISO set correctly, I can set my shutter speed to a fast speed so that I'm letting in, I have a wide opening for my aperture, but I'm only letting in the light for just a small amount of time. Um, so I think that should cover it for live photography. So I'll go over it again, 1200 to 1600 for my ISO, my aperture f-stop, I want a small number. Not quite the smallest. If you go too small, um, you might end up with like weird prisming around some some bright or uh, reflective objects. That happens. Um, so there's a hair above the, the the lowest setting you have, or the largest the largest um, opening you can make with your with your camera, and then a low shutter speed. That's it. I hope that answers that question. Um, anyway, so back to back to stuff that's not quite as. Um, not quite a happy subject here. Um, so suicide, you know, um, it's it's a bummer that we have to talk about this. Um, it's something I want to talk about. Um, it's not a very happy subject, but uh, so we all know Chris Cornell, um, and most recently uh, Chester Bennington, um, both committed suicide. Um, you know, I'm 100% sure if Chester's was recently. Was it actually classified as a suicide? But I think it's suspected as a suicide. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I don't know either of these guys, um, although uh, I've met Chester before when he sang at um, Alice's Christmas Pudding Show a few years ago. And Chris worked for Alice in the past, but that was way before my time. Um, <clears throat> I've seen, I, you know, I've seen them. And, and uh, well, I mean, Chris Cornell, man, phew, one of the best rock vocalists of all times, in my, in my opinion. Um, so anyway, but I'm not really going to discuss the circumstances of their tragic deaths, really, um, because I can't really comment without all the facts. You know, I don't really know enough about them and what they were doing, and I don't know anything. I'm not in their camp. Um, but what I can comment on 
is the the difficulty in keeping a positive and healthy mental state when you're on the road, even for someone who isn't struggling with substances or general depression issues. Um, you know, I want to talk about what it's really like to be out here on the road and what that kind of does to you as a person. Um, there's like this isolation when you're doing this kind of work. Um, when you're a rock star, you're still isolated from people, really. You know, you still have to go around with your guard up. You never know what people's motives are for friendship or love. Um, you don't know what that what their real motive is. Um, same can be said for someone like me who appears to be close to celebrity and leads a relatively exciting lifestyle on paper. Um, you know, but there's this monotonous grind to the whole thing. And, you know, people are always trying to get close to you and... You know, you don't know if they want to be your friend because, you know, you're a cool guy or a girl or if they want to be your friend because you, you know, you might know somebody that they might be able to meet, you know. So there's always that. Um, and then you're on the bus and then you're on a hotel and you're into, into a hotel and then into a venue and so on and so on and so on. And the days just drag on and it really wears on you. Traveling is tiring. And when you're away from your loved ones, um, it can really feel very lonely, even in a crowded room. Um, that feeling of being alone in a crowd is like a, it's a real thing. And I think these rock stars, you know, especially if they're struggling with substance abuse um, or addiction, um, it can be really heavy. Um, and this is where I think a healthy state of mind is really important for people who are traveling extensively. And uh, I can only say that if you let it, the road will eat you alive. Um, staying grounded with family and connected uh, at home and somehow um, with what your interests are off tour, that's just as important as um, your long-term health and staying in physically good shape. You know, I often hear um, Alice doing during interviews, I often hear him mentioning the idea that um, he was once one with his character and it almost killed him. Um, you know, he said that like, you know, had to separate himself from his character because being that person all the time was exhausting. Um, so allowing him to have some separation and boundaries between his work life and his personal life kept him from being consumed by his creation. And I think that even for like road crews, this is important to remember, or if you're on the road as just a business guy or a gal, whatever it is, um, if you're traveling, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it's long hours for a road crew, man, it's long, long hours. Um, in my job, I work like 18 hour days, show day or not, you know, I get a couple hours of sleep a night and then I'm up and I don't really, I don't really take naps. I don't really get to. Um, so for me sitting as, I mean, sorry, setting a, um, healthy work boundary that, that became a necessity. I didn't have that for a long time. Um, I used to take on too much um, for reasons I'll get to in a minute. But uh, being able to say no has really become very important for me. Um, that means that if I'm tired and I need to sleep, I sleep rather than trying to push through and answer more emails. Um, my inbox on my phone currently has a big 34,134 above it, a little icon, uh, indicating the number of emails that are you know, either un unread or 
you know, whatever, un, unattended to. Um, <clears throat> that's a total number of all email that I have. So that's Alice's fan mail. That's my own email. That's my private email. There's auto messages in there and everything, too. But it's a big number. Um, there are 370 text messages, mostly from people who want tickets to a show. My phone number's out there. You know, people have it. Um, so unfortunately, my phone number's been compromised, and I have a lot of text messages from people that I don't know asking for stuff. Same with my email. Um, the thing uh, I used to do is I used to obsess about making sure I checked every little thing, every, and I answered every email right away, and I answered every text right away. Um, but it, it would never end. I could do that all day and never catch up. So I realized I wasn't actually getting any more work done, um, and I, but I was living a whole lot less life by prioritizing um, work over life. You know, I, I, I just could never, I can never answer every single email. email. It comes in too fast. So um, by prioritizing it all differently so that I answer the important ones first, I color code everything. So emails from Shep and, and Alice's management and all that stuff comes in first, shows up in a, a red color. That's important stuff. Label, different color. Radio show, different color. Um, and then I have my orders that come in from, from my uh, photos. People are ordering photos. That comes in a different color. Um, and these are all in Alice's charity, different color. And so these are ways that I've prioritized things. And if you don't make a color code, then... You know, I, I, I scan, but, you know, I just can't, I, I can't spend my whole life behind a computer trying to catch up on every single email and catch everything. It's just impossible um, when you have that much volume. Um, so being a slave to your phone and being available 24-7 is something that most people, I think, can relate with. And most people are dealing with that in their work lives. You know, I, I think a lot of you out there are working a regular job that under most circumstances for the last 50 years would be a nine to fiver. But now you're expected to be available via text at five in the morning. And you're expected to answer emails and phone calls until 10 PM at night. When are people supposed to live? You know? Um, so being a slave 24 seven to your work is something that's depressing and it messes with your brain. Um, so allowing myself time for me is the number one thing that I now do to keep my sanity on the road. Um, and I'll get to what I do on that free time a little later. But um, I want to go back to these suicides and the seeming increase in suicides in general. Uh, and I've got to be really honest here um, because I think this is important. It's not something I talk about, but um, I've been there mentally. Um, I've been in that position where I've been so depressed and it felt like things in my life were going so wrong that I've considered that, you know, um, I feel, uh, you know, uh, felt guilty for shitty mistakes that, that I've made, or I felt that feeling of, um, not knowing what to do to pick up the pieces of your life after it crashes. And we all have those moments. And then I, uh, you know, I've contemplated whether or not I had the capability to end it. Twice. Um, I've been there twice. Um, you know, so this, the first time, this is directly, you know, aimed at um, the most vulnerable people out there, I think, um, which are young kids, people in school. Uh, 
Um, you know, look, school is brutal. It can be awful. And it's so much worse now than it was when I was a kid in school. You know, now we have social media pressures to make things a hundred times worse. And, you know, you've got cyberbullying and all this other stuff. Um, I used to be a loner. And I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, I had a few friends, but in general, I was not popular. I was not a popular kid, and the popular kids made it a habit of rubbing that fact in. You know, and it, when you hear that all the time, it gets to you. Um, you know, I used to have my long hair, and I lived in a, a, an area where there was preppy kids. I drove a beat-up pickup truck, you know, played music. I was into heavy music. I was into, you know, rock and metal and, you know, just didn't fit in. Um, and so the bullying, that stuff gets to you. You feel worthless and, um, you know, and kids are relentless and ruthless, you know, when they smell blood in the water, they just, they just go after you. Um, and you can't help but feel depressed when enough people tell you that you're not cool or pretty enough or handsome enough or strong enough or whatever. Eventually it's going to get under your skin, no matter how strong you are. Um, so I used to just keep to myself, you know, and in middle school, um, my brother got a drum set. Um, yeah. And he asked if I would like to play bass, basically. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. I liked music, but I hadn't really, I'd only really kind of gotten into music a few years prior to that. Music was not a big part of my upbringing really. Um, but I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll play bass. And it changed my life. My dad took me to a pawn shop to get a bass and I got a, a white Memphis precision bass and a PV amp and um, started learning music and I found out that I was good at it. I learned really fast and playing music gave me a reason to try when I was really struggling in school socially and academically. Um, <clears throat> gave me, uh, you know, all of a sudden I had a skill. Um, all of a sudden I cared less about what other people thought of me because I had an identity. Um, playing and listening to music saved me emotionally and gave me an escape. And music kept me busy. And at a point where I had no idea what I was doing and felt really worthless, music came in and gave me a reason to keep digging. Um, and I got into bands, um, playing in bands. I started listening to all kinds of stuff like, you know, jazz and metal and Motown like I was all over the place and uh so I started doing music writing music and playing in bands and doing little gigs and little tours so that was fun and so at that point I was not going to school I was going to go to school and be put through misery and listen to people tell me that I'm an, that I'm a moron or that I'm not cool, when I can just go do this, what makes me feel good. Um, thank God I did music before I did any drugs. <laughs> well, I you know, smoked weed or whatever. But um, So freshman and sophomore year, I was literally never there. And I think I had a, I'm sure I had a failing average, like an F, you know, across the board. I still have dreams. I still, to this day, have nightmares about, see, like, going to school and finding out how far behind I was now as a 36-year-old man. I, st I still 
I have anxiety about that because it just felt so bad. But I, you know, I learned fast and I was smart enough to pass the test. It was just really boring because they move so slow. And it was depressing to be there because everybody's an asshole. So that was one problem. And my home life was a mess, you know, which made things worse. I, I know that this is stuff that kids can relate to. My parents were both active alcoholics in denial. And I'll, I'll say it, they still are. Um, <clears throat> they were separated. They didn't get divorced, but my dad moved away. Um, I never really saw him uh, in high school. He was just gone. He traveled a lot and lived in another state. Um, and my mom was depressed for obvious reasons. And, and really neither of them were emotionally available to me. Um, I have a brother. He was, at the time, um, he's two years older than I am. Um, hello, Sean, wherever you are in Atlanta. Um, he had been thrown out of the house at the time due to the fact that he and his, uh, he was letting his girlfriend stay at our house, who at the time was also having family issues of her own. And uh, she didn't have a place to go. And it was fine for a little bit, but all of a sudden my mom felt that her staying at the house was just this horrible thing. <sighs> um, and rather than, I, I, I honestly, I think that she really felt it appeared horrible to anyone who, who might have found out. You know, it really wasn't. Um, so, you know, she tells them either the girlfriend has to go or they both have to go. And, you know, what did he do? He was a teenager in love. Of course, he moved out and <laughs> immediately had to drop out of school and go to work to pay rent on an apartment because now he has to be an adult. You know, he didn't drop out intentionally. It's just a circumstance, you know. Oh, there's a door slam. This is the, the um, I guess, the one of the perils of doing this in a hotel room. You hear my belly rumble, you hear me eat popcorn, and you hear doors slam. <laughs> At least it's not late, so nobody's really getting it down. Or getting down. Getting it down. Uh, wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he's a teenager in love, and, you know, he, of course he's going to stick with his girl. By the way, um, they are still together. They've been married for years now, and uh, they have three amazing kids. And uh, my brother put himself put himself through college. He ended up going back to high school. Um, and, uh, put, uh, put himself through school, college. He works harder than anybody I know and continues to this day to be an example for me on success and not giving up. Um, but anyway, so as a young adult in, in high school, all of this stuff was very emotionally stressful for me. It felt so heavy. Um, and, uh, so in the midst of all of this stuff, I just put my head down and I never went to school and I spent my time working on music. It was the only thing that I could really count on. Um, so in my junior year in high school, I finally figured out that I really needed to get my shit together. Um, if I wanted to have a life and get the hell out of Georgia, which is where I grew up. Um, you know, I went to my counselor, walked into my counselor's office with, you know, I, I, I was, I'm here. I am. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my life together. Going to my counselor's office, and now this is really 
this just makes me so mad thinking about this. Going to my counselor's office to figure out what I need to do to graduate. And I'm worried and I'm vulnerable. Um, scared. My parents have no idea. I've been taking my my uh, report cards for years out of the mailbox. Um, and so you know what she, do you know what she told me? She said, you'll never do it. The best thing you can do is to drop out right now and get a job. It can't be done. You're too far behind. You'll never do it. This is a high school guidance counselor telling a 17-year-old kid who is alone in her office voluntarily asking for help. She basically told me it wasn't worth the effort for her to try to figure out a path to success. I was going to take too much time out of her day to go through and figure out what classes I needed to take. I was just dead. You know, I felt so lost and worthless and I couldn't talk to anyone about it. I had no one to talk to. And I'll never forget that that day because I went to my next class defeated, you know, I went to my next class and I put my head on my desk and I just sank into tears and, you know, I just thought about how easy it would be to just go home and just do it, end it. Um, my parents were busy in their own funk to be there for me emotionally. I didn't feel closeness with any of my friends, really. Um, and it seemed to me to be like a, it seemed to be a real option. And when you start trying to work out the logistics of how you're going to actually kill yourself and you find you're trying to figure out how to not leave the biggest, the biggest mess, that becomes a really scary, slippery slope. So I'm in this class and I'm in a freshman math class, by the way, I'm a junior. So it does not feel good to be in this class. I don't feel like a smart person. I know I'm a smart person, but I feel like an idiot because I'm there in this class. Um, so my teacher at the time, she sees my mental state. She sees me crying. And at the end of the class, um, she asks to talk to me. And, you know, she's a concerned adult. She's like, what's going on? I mean, obviously I'm a junior in her freshman math class. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Um, but I told her what was up with my uh, counselor. Um, I told her what had happened. And she just said, come with me. And she quickly brought me to another teacher. And um, her name was Mrs. Mitchell. Um, she was in charge of this program called the Excel program for kids who were struggling uh, for various reasons, like whatever. Um, and I told, you know, I told her what went on with my counselor. And she said, come with me. She marched into this woman's office while I waited outside. She shut the door. And I don't really know what she said exactly, but I know that she did not say it quietly. She spent about 10 minutes tearing this counselor a new one and eventually came out with all of my records. And she spent the next few days with me trying to figure out what I needed to do. This woman literally saved me. Um, she combed through my records and figured out a path for me to get out and gave me a plan, which was basically I had to go to school 12 hours a day. I was going to go in the morning to do early classes out of this packet work um, where I could take a test. I could do like three tests a day 
on a reading course, for example. Um, then I'd do a partial day of regular school classes, and then I would go to a job, quote, that was going to give me work credit um, that didn't exist. I didn't go to a job. And instead of doing that, I actually went to night school and did more packet work and more tests. She just fudges the paperwork to show that I was going to some job for school credit. And I did that for the most of junior year and all of my senior year. I had no life outside of that. But I graduated on time, and it was really satisfying to wake up in the morning to like have a purpose. Um, and still music is a huge part of my life. I applied to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, got in, and I've slowly been learning how to be a successful adult ever since. Slowly. Um, so my takeaway there um, is that even when you're at your, you're, you're feeling absolutely worthless, it just takes one person to show that they really care to make a difference. You know, uh, I think that that's because, you know, life moves a little bit like glaciers. You know, you can't really, you don't really see the movement of time. It's a slow movement, um, especially when you're growing up. Summer feels like forever. School feels like forever. So sometimes you feel the weight of everything. Um, but time is moving, and you can't stop it from doing so. And whether you like it or not, it will carry you away somewhere else. And when you get far enough away from whatever shitty, horrible situation you're in, you will have the hindsight to realize that things were not as insurmountable as you originally thought. They were not, you're not as worthless as you thought. That was school for me. Um, I did pretty well for a, a, a good while with depression. It's something I've kind of had, but, um, you know, everybody goes on these up and ups and downs. Um, but, I mean, even st still to this day, I still feel more comfortable alone doing my own thing than at a party, for example. I'm still that way. Um, so that's for kids who were in school struggling. Um, that's how I relate there. Um, second time I felt myself slipping down that slope was a few years ago. Um, I was touring pretty relentlessly and uh, had been uh, and felt really lost in my life. I felt kind of trapped and I was depressed and overworking myself. And I, I really had like, I had no boundaries in my life. I just kept saying yes to more responsibility. And soon um, I found out I was going to be a father. And then that was it. I hung up my dreams and went to work. I allowed myself no time for my own needs, my hobbies, nothing. You know, it was too nice, too accommodating to everybody. And it was killing my spirit slowly. Um... And my upbringing had really turned me into a textbook codependent type personality. Codependent people are some people, um, they, you know, they're a lot of times people pleasers, but they have some addiction issues. Um, my addiction was work and people pleasing. I was a helper. Um, so I medicated my feelings instead of like some people drink. I medicated my feelings by bearing uh, them under all this super important work that I needed to do and all the fixing that I needed to do of people. Um, you know, cause you know, I'm a nice person. What? You know, I'm helping people. I want to help people. 
um, this went on for years and it took a toll on my relationships and me. Um, and my two amazing kids who I was rarely seeing on a consistent basis, I had these two amazing kids and it really strained my relationship with their mom, me being gone and a, and also being this type of personality. Um, so it caused a lot of stress. And then I made a huge stupid mistake. And immediately it ruined my life. Um, at least it seemed to at the time. And I felt like I had just completely fucked everything up. And there was no way to fix it. Because I had two little ones. Um, it made me, it made, it felt like so much was at stake. And it felt so urgent that I get control of this stupid ship that was sinking, um, so to speak. And I really felt helpless. Um, and traveling on the road being gone, alone, in a crowd, <laughs> working tirelessly to no end, dealing with the work stress, having a never-ending email chain, being away from my kids, it just added up to this flurry of just chaos. Um, and I went through a period of time where I coasted through months of tour without even thinking about it. Um, I don't, I, there's like, I, I don't remember and I don't have a memory of the, this period of time. Um, I was on autopilot, totally checked out. And I crept th uh, uh, through that time period for a little while. And then that little thought popped in. Of how, oh, there's another door slam. Popped in about how easy it would be to just clear the slate. There's a little kid running around in the hallway out there. Um, it was a brief thought. Um, but it's really, and, and, you know, I have two kids and I would never even think about that, but it's scary how easily it pops in, uh, out of nowhere during times of deep depression and pain. Um, you know, you want it to go away and, you know, man, you just kind of want to take a, 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 an Advil <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you get desperate and that maybe that's kind of like an Advil. I don't know. Um, thankfully I had previous experience with depression and, um, you know, seeing how time fixes a lot. Um, and at that point i I finally talked to somebody, talked to the professionals about what was happening in my life, why I was making stupid decisions, um, with work boundaries and why I was putting my emotional needs last on the list. And, I mean, I went down to a whole thing. Um, what the hell is wrong with me? You know? Um, and it all comes down to family upbringing. For me, it came back to that. And uh, in the end, it was pretty easy to sort of see what was going on and forgive myself for making stupid mistakes and being a freaking idiot. Because um, that's really what f feels the worst. Because you're disappointed in yourself, maybe, or whatever, you know. It's guilt. A lot of it's guilt. Um so now those big things that were happening actually seem kind of small. You know, I don't sweat the, the that stuff. Um, and, and it takes a considerable, but it, you know, it really does take a considerable effort. You have to try, you have to reach out to people when you are not doing well and you have to check in with somebody and just remember that like, you know, all's not lost ever. There's always a way out of the woods. Um, you know, if you're out there, and you're thinking about suicide once, even once. Please, please, please talk to somebody. 
you know, if you don't have any friends, I know what that's like. You can call somebody. If you don't have any healthy people around you to talk to, you, I mean, not everybody's a safe person to talk to. You know, some people are just not capable. You can seek professional help. You can call a clinic. It's no joke. I'm not kidding. Don't wait. The longer you wait, the more you'll have to untangle later. Or maybe you make a really stupid decision. Um, you know, you have to make your own happiness a priority. And it doesn't make you selfish. You know, um, if you have alcoholism or addiction in your family history or abuse or divorce, even just something as simple as divorce, you need to address it seriously. It's painful and, you know, you're, but you're not alone in it. Um, as a codependent personality, I do, I, every, I, I don't go enough really, but um, there's a thing called CODA, um, which is codependency anonymous. It's like alcohol anonymous for people who are people pleasers, who can't help but help people. <laughs> it's a meeting to help people who help people. That's really what it is. Um, but you're helping people to the detriment of your own life. You know, um, you're worried about other people's feelings more than your own. Um, so you can find a meeting, a codependence, uh, for a codependent, uh, coda, sorry, you can find a coda meeting at uh, coda.org, C-O-D-A.org. Um, so if you're dealing with any of these issues, if you've got any of this stuff happening, even if you feel fine, you know, you might, it might be worth going because you might get some clarity on some things and help you let go and live a better life. Um, try a few of them. Some of the, you know, you might go to a meeting and might not like the people, but you might go to another one and find an amazing place. I had a great meeting, um, a great one in, in Arizona when I lived there and I've not found a place to do it in Nashville. I'm never home though. So, um, anyway, it's free. And it's a safe place to go and talk stuff out with people who have been in the same sort of s spots and had the same experiences that you might have had. And it might save your life. Okay, so young kids. Now this is you guys. If you're struggling with depression in school, keep your head down. And know that this stuff that seems big and heavy, it's, it's nothing compared to your whole life. Don't let it rule you. Don't let it ruin your spirit. Most people that you're interacting with now, they're assholes, right? Most of those people are temporary in your life anyway. You won't, they're not going to mean anything the moment you graduate. You know, steer clear of these toxic people. They literally mean nothing in your life. They're nothing. They're like lamps in a hotel room that you're never going to be in again. That's what they are. You know, uh, invest your time in the good people around you that want to be good and be good to yourself and do what makes you happy. Invest your time into that. Don't sweat the small stuff. Time is going to bring you to a better place. Um, that's going to bring me back to what first saved me. Music. Music is what first gave me a reason to feel something. Um, because honestly, when I was a little, I, I mean, I was young, it didn't really feel anything. Um, with all my family drama stuff happening, um, there wasn't any room for my needs or whatever. So I put them away. Um, you know, but I could feel through music, you know, it moved me and it, I felt connected to it uh, and it became a passion and I carried it. Or it carried me, um, really far. 
Um, but, you know, so, kind of somewhere along the way, you know, really almost as soon as I started touring, um, I became a massive workaholic. It was in my DNA. My dad's the same way. Um, and all of a sudden, all of my time was spent on the road, leaving my limited home time to just readjusting from being on the road. And now remembering how to do my laundry and all this, you know, constant gear shift, two different lives, um, which is not easy. Um, you know, it's, and it's even worse for people who are big stars, you know, they're constantly taken care of, um, a lot of pressure. I just, you know, I can't imagine. Um, anyway, uh, so for me, I just get into a work roof and I, uh, you know, I forgot that I needed music in my life, which is ironic being that I work in music. Um, but it wasn't for me. You know, I had burnt out on it. I, I, uh, I'd stopped listening to it for my own personal benefit. I had stopped buying it. I stopped caring about it. You know, I used to be passionate, a fan, man, you know, I knew everything about, I get it. I, I resonate with fans because I've, I've been a fan, you know, um, I stopped playing, you know, and the farther I got away from it, the harder it was to go back because it hurt that I allowed myself to get that far and let go of what really was my identity. You know, I had to retrain myself to reconnect with it. Um, and you know, I love music. So, you know, I started investing in myself again and in my interests again. Um, and that's made me like 10 times happier. Um, you know, it's really become an important part of my life again, which is great because I can now pass that love of music onto my kids, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. <clears throat> so, oh man, I feel like it just went to like a therapy session or something. Um, where do we go from that super heavy bag of wet sand that I just dropped on you guys? Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll talk about ways that I stay mentally healthy on the road. Um, still a struggle for me. Um, I go through periods where I am depressed. You know, it's really hard to be away. Um, and, you know, you don't get time back. So that's, that's something that I struggle with every day. Um, but music is one of the biggest things that keeps me, my mood lifted. Um, you know, I, I invested in a really great pair of headphones. Um, and I have a small portable speaker and I have music playing as often as I can. Um, I started to rebuild my vinyl collection, my music collection, which I let dwindle. Um, you know, the other day I actually made a playlist of my vinyl albums on Spotify. I just, I, you know, I go, I just went through and I added every album that I have onto the Spotify playlist. And uh, I just put that on shuffle and it plays music that I have physically in my home on random so that I can hear stuff that I completely forgot I had, but it kind of helps connect me to home. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll just go through the list of things that I do that make me happy and make a list of things that make you happy and do them. So here's my list. I watch movies. Um, and TV a little bit. I mean, I actually don't watch a lot of TV, but um, when I do watch it, I'm most, actually really mostly on my iPad. Um, I mostly watch sci-fi. I'm a nerd. Um, growing up, uh, another thing that I really uh, resonated with and kept my mind busy was the, this book series called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Um, if you have not read that book you and you like like Monty Python-type humor and sci-fi, you'll love it. It's so great. Um I usually read it at least once a year. I have like four versions of this book. Um, 
you know, it's actually kind of funny. I'm, I'm just looking at Alice's um, new album. And uh, if you know anything about the Hitchhiker's Guide, you know that the president of the galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox, has two heads in the book. And there he is. There's Alice. He looks like Zaphod. I mean, like literally, he looks like Zaphod Beeblebrox. It's so funny. Um, anyway, uh, I also I watched Doctor Who. Again, I'm a nerd. Okay. I watch that. It makes me happy. It's a guilty pleasure. Um, no, I, I also, by the way, no, I don't care that the new doctor is going to be a woman. The doctor has alluded to the fact that he or may or may not have been a woman in the past. So to me, it's like not unreasonable. Plus, women are pretty awesome. Um, if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, like, you know, get out more, really. Put some pants on right now. Put them on. Find a clean pair of socks if you can. Figure out where you kicked off your shoes and get the hell out in the world. Come on. All right, speaking of the doctor, um, if you're mad about the, the doctor being a woman coming up, grow a pair of balls. Seriously. I feel like the only men out there that are sexist and misogynistic likely have a small earplug-sized man part. And they're looking to compensate by throwing their little Vienna sausage around. You heard me. You little orange cheese puff. You know who you are. I know what you're hiding in there. Those little pants of yours. Same goes for the idiots who rev their stupid engines on busy streets. Like you're in a, walking down the street and all of a sudden somebody who thinks they're a race car driver drives by in their super fast, expensive car. Come on. You're not a race car driver. Neat. You are, you're super loud. Great. Good for you. We get it. You have a bunch of money because you're working a whole lot. And, you know, but... That's probably because you're not getting laid in the first place. So, the girls that you want to impress know why you've picked the biggest and loudest engine. But, you know. And the women who do turn their heads, they're not interested in your cheese puff. So, um, <clears throat> let's see. What else? What else do I have? What else do I do to stay sane? Um, you know, I think I'd probably, I should probably do more to stay sane. Um, I do try to explore where I'm at whenever we're traveling around. Try to get out, you know. Um, man, this is a free trip around the world. So I try to get out and explore and take pictures. I don't beat myself up if I'm tired, you know. Sometimes I don't. But I do try to get out there. Um, I call my kids as often as I can. FaceTime and Skype are lifesavers. Just photos back and forth, texting back and forth um, with their mom, and it helps, you know. Um, I write in, in a journal, like a little travel log. Um, really, I usually forget, actually. But um, I also write topics for this audio blog in there. Um, if I see something that I want to, you know, remember, whatever, I want to remember something, it just goes in there, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think I find, like, as I am, if I write something down, I remember it easier. Um, I try to take as many pictures as I can. I actually want to do it like a 365 project. i um, not sure what I'm going to do yet. But that's basically when you take one task and you do it once a day for a year. Um, I want to take a photo of something um, like one, one subject matter that's out of my comfort zone, but I'm kind of at a loss. Like I did doors one year. I just took pictures of doors randomly. And then they went into a little folder on my hard drive. You know, I did all my other stuff, but then I had doors, um, which was pretty cool. Um, But you know, I don't really know what, what else to do. I mean, any ideas? Somebody give me an idea of what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I uh, also do photo shoots in different cities, wherever we are. 
um, every now and again when it works out timing-wise. I did one um, fairly recently, you know, of whatever, you know, anything, really. Like, if you're a photographer and you want to know how to get better at being a photographer, you have to take pictures. I've said that before. You just got to get out there and take as many pictures as you can. Um, let's see. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about and reading about science and space and time. It makes me happy. Um, I want to know what the hell is really going on. Oh, hey, as, <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. Um, so sometimes you go down the rabbit hole on YouTube. Okay. Um, has anybody ever heard of the Mandela effect? Okay, it's nuts. I could talk about this like f for hours. Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, whatever, but it's interesting and it's like, well, so weird. Um, but I won't. But the idea uh, is that some people remember certain things that happened and some that didn't happen. Look it up. It's crazy. Um, maybe you'll remember that I talked about this in detail. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> look it up if you never want to sleep again, actually, because, you know, it's not like it's scary necessarily. But you'll be up all night watching YouTube videos for the rest of your life. So that's it. Forget it. Quit your job. Google Mandela Effect and have a nice life. Um, I also go to record shops. I have been uh, quietly collecting vinyl in uh, various towns for a while now. Um, <laughs> I think like we just came to Europe and I have 25 LPs in my luggage already. Um, another thing that I do is I send postcards home. Um, there's, I use this app called Ink, and uh, if you like to send postcards, if you want to get into sending postcards, it's really cool. You can send um, your own photo on a postcard. The way it works, I mean, like I, I sent one today. So here I am. I'm in Finland. I take a picture of something in Finland, me in Finland doing something. Um, I uploaded it. I uploaded it to the app, and then the app um, has you know kind of different. You can not filters, but different little formats, um, and then you can write a message in the back, and it gets printed in the states. And mailed from the U.S. So I'm in Finland, and I want to buy a postcard in a gift shop. It's five euros. It cost me three bucks. Three dollars. I go on my app, send a, po a picture of my myself that I took, and write my little message, and I hit send. They print it, and they mail it. And it arrives in a couple days. It's pretty cool. Um, that's really fun to do. I love doing that, and my kids like that. That's a great way for me to stay sane and um, connected to home. That's one. It's a huge thing, staying connected. Um, I try to enjoy food and, uh, you know, make time for good meals. I don't actually eat dinner on show days, um, so breakfast is, like, my main jam. Um, but uh, lunch is my second favorite. I love a good lunch. I had, I think I, I posted this on Instagram, actually. I, I had the best tacos the other day in Stockholm. Stupid. I mean, ugh. So good. And I'm also drinking coffee all the time. I cannot live without coffee. If you tell me I can't have coffee, forget it. I don't want to live. Um, very important to me. If you want something from me, buy me coffee. You know, oh, yeah, by the way, say uh, thank you to uh, uh, Jeff Mydell and the Fenners. You guys got me Starbucks gift cards recently. I really appreciate them, and I, I use them all the time. Okay, so um, let's move on from that darkness. 
and uh, we're getting into the long, long, long range here. Um, it's like an hour and 10 minutes. All right, so uh, a listener question here. This is Chris Vickery via somewhere. It's been a question that's been on my list of things to answer so long now that I've forgotten where it came from. Um, he said he loves the last show, although it made him feel guilty about taking pictures and some, uh, doing some video during the show. Um, I'm not sure how long ago this, that, that, was that last time? Was it the last one? I don't remember. Uh, anyway, uh, don't feel guilty. You know, I'm not saying don't take pictures. We were talking about, um, people, you know, taking pictures and, and doing selfies in the front and not paying attention to the show and being disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. Um, and people being, living on their phone and not living in the real world. Um, you know, take pictures, take lots, take video. It's cool. Just don't forget to enjoy the reality of life too. Um, that was my point. Um, most people fit into the category of casual when it comes into like this, but you know, some people are just obsessed. They're over the top and, uh, they just can't put it down. I love it. Whenever we're (laughs) like driving to a city and you see girls are like, for some reason, if I see a group of girls immediately, I think of Snapchat. Yeah. Snap. They just think everybody's on Snapchat, snapping their chattery. I don't know what they're doing, but I tried Snapchat. I hate it. I don't get it. It's stupid. Things disappear. I don't, the conversation disappears. I'm not on it enough. It's weird. There are too many kids on Snapchat. I don't want to talk to like kids in an anonymous way. It's weird. Okay. If you're an adult and you're talking to children on there, get a life. Seriously. Gross. Um, all right. So uh, his actual question was, um, how does the heat affect you, Alice, and everyone else in the show? Um, I guess he saw a picture or a video of Tommy um, where uh, everybody was talking about how hot it was. And, um, you know, I was putting on my leather jacket and all my gear um, for the show. And I think that was from the Tucson show that we did a, a while back. He wants to know how the heat affects me. Um, well, it's hot as hell. Um, when you're on stage, it's 10 to 15 degrees hotter on stage because of the lights. Um, and so, man, it, it can be brutal up there. Um, I, I wear that leather outfit and I wear that mask. It's pretty breathable. Um, but it is, it's like, you know, it's like putting a, a, <laughs> a leather helmet on. Um, the Frank Alice is also very hot, especially in those, those outdoor festival shows. It can get really hot. It's, it's also kind of breathable. It's mostly just cloth, but it still holds in heat and, and air. Um, yeah, boy, it can be really, really hot. Those shows were so bad. Ugh. Um, everybody kind of deals with heat differently, though. You know, Alice doesn't really drink a lot of water. It's weird. He does not drink water on stage. He goes, he may come back and like just get his lips wet with a bottle of water. That's it. Um, we always have waters out there. It's really important. So you can't, you know, a lot of singers don't like cold water because it it'll shock your throat and make you not be able to sing very well. Um. And I think everybody's kind of different. Um, the bummer is that you just kind of have to go out there. You can't go out there in shorts. I mean, you can if you're like, you know, I don't know, Creed. <laughs> but you're not going to go out there with Alice Cooper and wear shorts. I mean, Pat could. Pat wears shorts. Pat's our props guy. Um, he's had the same pair of shorts for like a thousand years, I think. Um, all right. So here's a, uh, a question from the website. Um, what's my favorite Alice Cooper album? You know, I have to say it's from, from the inside, um, which is actually ironic because that was a title from uh, Linkin Park, I think. Um, but so this is Alice and Bernie Taupin 
they did all the lyric writing and uh, music was written mostly by Dick Wagner and Alice. Um, and it's just the coolest album. All the songs are they're just rad. Um, it's got, uh, I think, what was it? Who was the band? I know it was Alice and Dick Wagner. Um, I think the bass player was Murray, D. Murray, I think. David Johnstone was on guitar, and then uh, Dennis Conway was the, was the drummer. Um, I have all this stupid random knowledge <laughs> in my head. Um, and then I think there, uh, Steve Luthiker, 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 Jesus, I'm tired. Steve played guitar on, uh, oh man, I don't remember the track. Anyway, he played guitar. Rick Nielsen is also on it. Cheap Trick, one of my favorite bands. Um, anyway, so um, definitely my favorite album. Um, what's my favorite song on that one? Jeff Mydell. You're going to say Serious. I know it. Um, I mean, I, I, I like... From from the inside is really one of my probably my favorite song actually honestly it's just it's such a cool song it has like a a um it has a uh, Elton John vibe which is really hip ah man I can't think of anything else I want to talk about at this point um I'm emotionally burnt out I gotta be honest with you I'm a little bit crisp after this one um so. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hope that this this episode, you know, if one person listens to it and, and it helps them to kind of get a little clarity or to feel less alone or, you know, or whatever, um, I hope that it does. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're out there and you're feeling blue, talk to somebody. But I'm doing the best I can Thank you for listening to my podcast, Audio Confessions of a Serial Kyler. Um, you can subscribe to my podcasts for free via the RSS feed on my website, which is SerialKyler.com. You can also find it for free on iTunes. Um, if you'd like to submit a question for an upcoming podcast, please do. You know, you can submit them at uh, SerialKyler.com, on my Instagram or uh, via Twitter at SerialKyler. Or on Facebook by looking up Serial Kyler Photography. Um, music from my podcast is from the song Superstar uh, by my old band Callahan. Um, I want to thank my old bandmates Tom and Brandon for letting me use this track for these podcasts. Uh, you can find more tracks from Callahan, um, including Superstar, on iTunes. It's C-A-L-A-H-A-N. It's a Dirty Harry reference, I'm told. Um, anyway, finally, thanks to the artist Nate Merritt for giving me the permission to use his hilarious sketch of me carrying a sleepy Alice Cooper as the cover for my podcast. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks guys. And we'll see you next time.